Well, good morning, y'all. How are we doing? There we go. Happy Thanksgiving. I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get to say it to anybody. So happy belated Thanksgiving this morning. And uh, if y'all are, are here and you guys were here the last time I preached, um, I just want to let everyone know I got us covered this time, so hopefully no coughing fits. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you guys helping me get through that last time. Um, this morning, we are going to be diving into uh, the book of Luke, and we're going to be reading from chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. So if you're following along in your Bibles, feel free to do so now. If not, um, the words will be up on the screen behind me. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. These are the words of God, the people of God, so we give thanks to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, uh, coming off a week of Thanksgiving, God, and we find ourselves incredibly thankful for uh, the season that we go into, this season of Advent, Father, and, and the anticipation of knowing what is to come, God. Father, we are so thankful for all the gifts that you've bestowed upon us. And Father, it's during this time of year that we, uh, we feel the perpetual hope that comes from you, God, the joy that surrounds us in the familiarity and in the um, decorations and in the traditions that, that we hold dear to our hearts. So, Father, during this time of thankfulness and praise, God, we come together and we realize that there are also tons of uh, things that are starting to creep into our minds, Father, the stresses of the season. Where am I going to get this from? Where am I going to get that from? And so, Father, I ask during this time that you would just push out all the pulls of the outside world, our minds, so that, Father, we may focus our hearts on the words that you have for us here today that God, they would change us in ways that would allow us to go from this place and be lanterns for your light to shine out to the world. Father, we love you. As in your heavenly name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Peyton Ruddick, and uh, I am the youth director here, and I have been for just over four years. It was actually four years about a week ago that I quit my job and started doing this full-time, so it has been an incredible time, and uh, I'm from Iowa originally, and um, Zach was actually supposed to be up here preaching today, and, and as I went to leave to drive home from Iowa at about 3 o'clock on Friday, because we were driving because we have little kids, and so they do better in the evenings after they've run all their energy out, um, I got a text message from Jason and said, Zach's sick, you're up. <laughs> I went, all right. So first, I just want to say, let's just keep Zach and his family in our prayers. He was running like a 103, 102 temp, um, so we've all been there or at least close to there, that's pretty high. But we all know that that feels terrible. So please keep him um, and his family just close to your prayers. Um, yeah, but as I, as I left and started driving, I realized um, I was gonna have a lot of time on my hands to think about this, uh, but not a lot of time to do research. So I started kind of thinking through, you know, what is this? What is this story that, that I'm reading? And uh, I realized that it is probably the most well-known story in human history the story of Jesus' birth. I mean, every Christian knows that it's been hammered into us to the point where um, it was almost hard for me to even think about trying to preach it because I like to bring things new, and this is something that we all know so well. And even beyond that, even if you're not a Christian, you see Christmas stuff everywhere, and in that you see nativity scenes. So you at least have an understanding as to what some people are celebrating during this time of year. 
And people can give you just kind of the quick rundown, oh yeah, it was the birth of Christ. And so you may not know everything, but you at least know enough about the story. And so it made me start thinking about my favorite stories, because we all have them, right? Like we have our favorite, I love books, I love movies, uh, I love TV shows. I'm, I'm one of those people that always has to have something on in the background. And so I started thinking through my favorites and uh, started handing off the easy ones, Harry Potter, Harry Potter series, Star Wars, the Star Wars series. I love the Rocky series. Um, my you know, favorite show is Friends. So if you know, you know. If you don't, you should go watch it. Um, and then I started thinking about like other different types of movies, right? Like that seems very guy-minded until you get to Friends. And I love Finding Forrester, which is a movie... Uh, it has uh, Sean Connery in it. It's about a guy, kid who learns, he's incredibly intelligent, but yeah, it's a great book about reading and writing. And uh, I came down to the list to my favorite movie of all time, and that is The Replacements. Um, and I say it's my favorite movie of all time. It is the, like, embarrassingly my favorite movie of all time, to the point where my wife knows that I know all of the lyrics to the soundtrack behind the movie that's going on on top of everything they're about to say. Um, I had it when I was on DVD, so it came out in 2000, and I had it on DVDs, because that's you know, the way we used to watch movies, and I do remember VHS, I'm not that young. But I had it on DVD, and I watched it so many times that I wore the DVD out. Like, it didn't get too scratched to watch, it was still completely clear and clean, but it had been lasered so much by the DVD player that it stopped working and I had to buy another one to continue to watch that one. Um, I love The Replacements, and I started thinking about all these movies, and what do they have in common? Why do I love them all so much? And I realized that it's not just those movies, it's any movie I thought about or any story I thought about, the underlying theme is that it centers around an underdog. All of you started thinking about your favorite movies and favorite TV shows or favorite books. If you think about it, it revolves around someone who overcomes something that they shouldn't be over, able to overcome. It all centers around an underdog of some sort, way, or another. And it's interesting. Like, even our heroes that we think about, they typically have someone that's overcome something to create something incredible. And so what is it in us that desires that underdog story? And this story is no different, because Mary, Mary is the quintessential underdog. Um, it tells us in here, and it gives us the introduction at the beginning uh, in verses 26 and 27 of who Mary is. She is a young Jewish girl who is unmarried and is uh, of no social stature that we ever see. There's no big dowry that's paid. There's no um, thing that says that she came from wealth. So she would have been, in social standpoint, the bottom of the rung. 12 to 14-year-old girl, unmarried, no social status. She was the quintessential underdog story. And so why is it that we want to see these people succeed? Why is it that we're drawn to underdog stories? And I started thinking back to Genesis in the beginning. God created us in his image. And that doesn't mean the way that we all originally think about it, that we are some, in some way, shape, or form look the way that God looks, because we all look different. But it gets into our core being of who we are. God created our core in his image. Take for example, we all have a moral compass. We all know right from wrong, right? And all of us may have different small definitions of what right and wrong is, but we all know, even if our definition of right and wrong is different, when we've crossed the line into wrong or when we've done something right. 
In that same way, we all want to see human beings succeed. And I know we're coming off a big football weekend where I, as an Aggie fan, wanted to see LSU not succeed and see A&M succeed, and I wanted to see Kansas State succeed and Texas not succeed. Yeah, that was for you, buddy. <laughs> um, and uh, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, I, I don't know. But we do. We, we want to, if we really get down to it, we want to see people succeed. When I walked up onto this stage, y'all weren't sitting there going, oh, I hope he fails. I hope this is terrible. I hope he falls off the stage. Y'all were going, man, I hope Peyton does a good job. That's why y'all rallied around me last time I did this, when I started coughing. You guys wanted to see me stop coughing for more reasons than one and get through it, but it's because y'all wanted to see, we want to see each other succeed. It's just a core of who we are. That's a God thing. Because we look through human history, God has always wanted to see us succeed. And we fail over and over again, and he continues to try and pull us up and pull us up because we are the quintessential underdogs in this world. The safe bet is temptation. The safe bet is sin. The safe bet is brokenness. We're the underdogs because every single one of us has given in, has failed, has, has lost to temptation, to sin. We've all broken at some point in time in our lives. And so as we come into this through these eyes where we have that little bit of God in us, we see Mary as this underdog and we want to see what happens to her. We want to see how she's going to succeed. And so I started thinking about this whole underdog story, which brought me back to replacements because that's typically where my brain goes at some point in time during the day. And uh, I had this 15 hour drive home. And so I started thinking through the replacements and I was like, man, I need to watch that when I get home. So uh, I got home yesterday afternoon and went into my study and sat down because I have a big TV in my study. So it's not really a study. It's more of a man cave. But I try to say I do work in there. And I sat down and uh, Shane came and sat on my lap, who's my youngest son, who is, yes, named after the main character from Replacement, Shane Falco. I tried to name him Shane Falco Ruddick and Sam said, no. I went, how about Shane? She was like, I like Shane. I was like, how about Shane... Falco Ruddick. She goes, no. I was like, all right. But I tried. And uh, so I sat down and I went to watch it. And Shane came and sat on my lap. And Sam comes and she peeks in. And she goes, I thought you were supposed to be preparing for, for a sermon. And I was like, I am. I'm watching replacements. It's, it's studying. And Shane sat on my lap and he's like, because that's his thing right now is he nods at like anything. So he like looked up and saw me like, no, it's fine. And he was like, no, yeah, mom, we're doing it. Um, so The Replacements is this, this movie about a sports team. It's a movie about a football team. And you have uh, the main players in the NFL, which it's kind of like a knockoff version of the NFL. It's probably closer to the XFL or something. But let's say these NFL athletes, they go on strike in the middle of the season. And so they have to bring in a replacement. Whoop. All right. This is just a thing now <laughs> when I'm up here. Uh, so I'm going to just keep going like this didn't happen. Um, Maybe I should be talking about aliens. That felt much more of like an aliens kind of esque vibe there. But we, uh, so <laughs> it's just a thing, y'all. Every time I get up here, I'm like, what's going to happen? <laughs> Something's coming. Um, and we're not even halfway through this yet, everybody. <laughs> Buckle up. Um, so the movie The Replacement center on this team, and these guys go on strike because so they bring in replacement players to finish out the season. And so you meet these replacement players, and they're a bunch of uh, nobodies, right? They're guys who've maybe played here and there, and they assemble this team of kind of, you know, 
uh, Bad News Bears-esque kind of team of nobodies together, and the quarterback's name is Shane Falco. And Shane was someone that was supposed to be a great player. He played for Ohio State, but he had this horrible sugar bowl, bowl disaster that followed him the rest of his life and ruined his career. Um, and they bring this team together, and you kind of get to know them and see them start to succeed and have some success and follow them up, and they start winning, and the fans start rallying around them, and the team or the city of Washington, D.C. starts rallying around them, and you're already in love with the team because they're hilarious, and um, it gets to this kind of moment before they're supposed to play the Dallas Cowboys. And I know what you're thinking, that doesn't sound very hard, but you have to remember, this is in 2000, so the Cowboys were still coming off of the 90s, right? Like, I'm a Cowboys fan, but we have to, we have to be real ourselves. It was the 90s, y'all, it's been a long time. Um, and so they're supposed to play the Dallas Cowboys, and they have to win the game to make it to the playoffs. And people are starting to cross, so the Dallas Cowboys are completely back. They're the NFL team that they're supposed to be playing. So you have the replacement players versus like true pros. And the quarterback for the Washington sentence crosses the line. He crosses the picket line and he, he comes back to play. And his name's Eddie Martell. And he jumps the fly, line and so coach Jimmy McGinty, who's the coach of this team, goes out and he finds Shane Falco, Keanu Reeves on the field. And he says, Shane, Eddie's jumped and I, I, I don't have a choice, I have to play Eddie. And Shane is the true underdog, immediately hears these words, and he's like, yeah, you got to go with him. He's got everything. He's, he's more talented. He's better. Because that's what underdogs tend to hear as soon as something goes wrong, right? We tend to hear that those words that sit in the back of our minds, we hear those and it becomes a reality very quick. And so he steps aside and he says, yeah, he's got everything. And the coach says, no, he doesn't have something that you have. He doesn't have heart. You've got heart. And he kind of like, all right, whatever, coach. And goes home, and so they start playing this game. And it's really cool, because now it's like you're watching the, uh, the, the movie, you're part of the audience, you're part of the fan base now, right? And so they're running out onto the field with the team, and it's all the replacement players, Nettie Martell. And in the background, you see signs that say, like, bring back Shane, Falco forever. So the team, like, the city doesn't want to see Eddie Martell play. They want the better quarterback. They want to see Shane Falco play, because they've rallied around the underdog. And it goes just as the way you'd think it'd go because it's a pretty predictable movie. I'm not going to say it's a well-written piece of cinema, but it is one of my favorites. And, um, you know, Martell is playing for himself. He doesn't care what anyone says. He's not listening to the coaches. He's not jiving with the team. Um, and so nothing's going right, and they're going to lose the game. And so it goes into halftime, and it's 17 to nothing. And as it does, if you watch any football at all, they always go up and they try and find the coach of the, losing, the team that's losing at half, and they ask him, what's it going to take for your team to win this? What's it going to take for your team to come back? And McGinty, instead of giving the typical rambling answer that coaches give, says one word. He says, heart. And she says, what? And he goes, heart. And he takes like his program or his cheat sheet of plays and whacks his chest. And he says, miles and miles of heart. And it's a cool moment because you know he's not, he's answering her question, but he's not speaking to her. He's speaking to Shane, who's at home on his like rickety little houseboat in Washington, D.C., watching it. And he's speaking to the audience, us as viewers watching the movie, because we're like, yeah, Shane's coming back. He's talking to Shane. And so you get into this, this rallying cry to the underdog. And that's what Gabriel was doing to Mary here. 
See, Gabriel comes and he comes to Mary, this little, this young girl who is being married to a man she doesn't know, has no social status, and he appears before her and he says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And I really want to focus on this because this is an incredibly deep thing that he says, and we could take it seven, ten layers deep if we really wanted to, but we don't have time today. So, and who knows when the lights are going to shut off again and what's going to happen next. But um, just to go a little bit deeper, so in Greek, this word, it's only one word, and it was used almost as a moniker. So he didn't say, you who are highly favored. He said this Greek word that I can't even pronounce, and I looked up how to pronounce it online, and there was like eight different pronunciations, and not one of them got more than one vote. And so I was like, I'm just not going to say it. That's fine. Y'all just know that's one Greek word. It is the only time that this Greek word is used in the entirety of the Bible, which is why, as you look, which is why if you look at every translation of the Bible, there is typically a different translation of what this word means. But essentially, the best English translation we have for it is that you are highly favored and full of grace. And it wasn't, so it wasn't like a normal greeting that she was hearing. It was a very, very specific, meaningful moniker that he was bestowing upon her. Because it wasn't like saying like, hey, Mary, how are you doing? By the way, you're highly favored and full of grace. He was referring to her not as Mary, but as the one who is highly favored and full of grace. So she would have heard this and being who she was, would have kind of gone, what? But that second statement that he follows it up with is what brings the importance of this greeting from Gabriel into her heart. He says, the Lord is with you. And the Lord is with you is a phrase that isn't just used here in the Bible. It's used over and over and over again in the Old Testament. So as a Jewish girl, she would have known the phrase, the Lord is with you. Whenever God sent forth a prophet or called to someone or spoke to someone or sent an angel to speak to someone, he would say, the Lord is with you or I am with you. And he did so to let them know that whatever they were going to go through, the difficulties, the trials, the tribulations that were about to happen to them, they weren't alone in it. That God had this handled. And so she hears this moniker and knows that God is telling her, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This is cool, and this is why this reminded me of the replacements, because he was answering her question, because as soon as you woke up and someone was in your room, there'd be the question of who are you and why you're here. And he answered her question, but he took it beyond just that answer. It was just like Coach McGinty in the, in the replacement saying, heart, miles and miles of heart. He was saying, you aren't just an underdog, you are an incredible vessel for God's will. And the beautiful thing is, God knew that this story was going to be repeated over and over and over again because it was the story of his son. And so as the audience, we get to join in on that. We don't just hear this as a greeting to Mary, but a greeting to everybody because Mary got this greeting and we now know, just like when you hear the words, you don't have to have seen the replacements, but you hear miles and miles of heart, you think Shane's coming back? 
You think Shane's going to win the game? So as Christians, we know that when he greets her, what's about to happen? He's about to tell her that she's carrying the Son of God. That he's going to come and he isn't just going to win the game for himself for his own glory. He isn't going to overcome temptation and sin and be the only human being to ever do it. For Mary, our heroine in this story, but he's doing it for all of us. He's overcoming temptation and sin for each and every single one of us. This greeting, this moniker of being highly favored, being loved wasn't just for Mary. It was for anyone and everyone who would ever read it because we all know that the Lord is with us. It goes so much further than just a quick answer to a question in her heart and in her mind. It's an answer to every single one of us as to how God sees us, as to who we are to him. So, the question here is, what happens next, right? Because we read this, and when I read it, and I saw it was broken up, and I was just getting the greeting, I was like, wow, I'm not even able to go into Gabriel telling her that she's going to have a baby, and it's going to be God's. Like, it's, it's just the greeting itself. You are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. So when you hear that, you hear it spoken to Mary, let it resonate inside of you because that's what God's saying to you because you are all underdogs. Each and every single one of us is an underdog. We've all felt alone. We've all felt beaten. We've all felt downtrodden. We've all felt like we were abandoned sometime in our life. We've all felt like we didn't rise up to the expectations that were bestowed upon us. We've all had that feeling of failure. We are all underdogs to this world of temptation. And God sent Jesus. This was like the, the rallying cry to the underdog when he spoke to Mary here of what was going to happen. This is how he started to call Mary and let her know, hey, I'm about to get you in the game. The Lord is with you. I'm about to put you in the game. And so when we hear that, that cry this season, this Christmas season, I hope that you guys all hear that rallying cry that God is saying to each and every single one of you, this greeting as we go into this Advent season of you are highly favored. You are my beloved. The Lord is with you. And the question that I want you guys to hold in your hearts this season is, how am I going to get in the game? What is knowing that God sees me in that way going to do to change my life, my heart this holiday season? Am I going to sit by and watch it happen? Or am I going to hear it and get in the game? And some of you are even hearing me say this now, and you're going, yeah, okay, that's all great and everything, but these are all stories, Peyton. Like, we know how they're going to end. We know how the underdog story ends. They're made-up stories. Mine is real life, and, and I don't know if there's a happy ending at the end of mine. I don't know if this feeling of being beaten or being abandoned or being misused or being forgotten is going to turn around into something beautiful.
So why should I get in the game? I want to remind you all that God is the author of our lives. We can look at these stories because we have hindsight, and hindsight's always 20-20, but y'all, God is the author of our lives, and his hindsight is perfect. And he still calls to each and every single one of us and tells us, you are highly favored. You are full of grace. And I am with you. Because he knows that he sent his son for us. He gave us a gift this season that is incredible and makes sure that each and every single one of our stories is one of hope, is one of overcoming because it's something that he did for us. He sent his son to be the one to overcome temptation, to defeat sin, so that we could all share in his victory. The victory is there for us. We are underdogs no longer because we have heard the rallying cry that we are highly favored, that we are loved, and that the Lord is with us. So the question this season is, are y'all ready to get in the game? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we thank you for calling to us. Father, we thank you for ringing true in our hearts this rallying cry and letting us know that we are loved, that God, you see us. And that Father, you are prepared to give us victory. So Father, I ask that you would just allow us to go into this season with the anticipation of seeing what that victory is gonna look like, of seeing the hope and the joy radiate from us into this world and watching that radiance be reflected by those around us. Father, it is in you that we find our perpetual hope. And Father, it is in this season that we are reminded of all the incredible things we have to be thankful for. And Father, the thing that we are thankful for the most is you and your incredible love for us, your willingness and desire to see us as the underdogs overcome and triumph in this world so that we may share in the victory that your son provided. Father, we love you. We praise you. It is your incredible and heavenly name that we say. Amen.